This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This is America Change Forever, and I'm Jeff Begays. The school year has begun in districts across the country, and millions more students and teachers will be heading back into schools in the next days and weeks. And still... There is this intense debate over masks and vaccines, some of it really getting ugly. At the same time, hospitals are filling up with patients suffering and dying because of this Delta variant. We have 20 to 30-year-olds on ventilators. We didn't see this the last go-round. 60-plus ICU beds. Um, They are all full. We have nine patients waiting in the emergency room for ICUs today. I I mean, it it is pulling in some ICU nurses, uh, pulling them in off shift to come in and help. We have a lot to talk about today with experts and activists on the front lines of this pandemic. Let's talk now with Dr. Peter Hotez, the co-director of the Center for Vaccine Development at Texas Children's Hospital. How serious, Dr. Hotez, is the threat from the uh, Delta variant to children who have not been vaccinated? Well, you know, it's it's not only a question of being a threat to children who have not been vaccinated. It's it's how the community is doing in terms of vaccination levels. And, and that's why we're having this big problem here in the South. Delta is accelerating across the South where vaccination rates are really, really low uh, among the young adults and adolescents. So in many states here in the South, we have only 20, 25 percent of the adolescents vaccinated, as opposed to three times higher than that in many cases in the Northeast. And that allows this virus to gain a lot of momentum and accelerate. And it's sweeping through the South now like a firestorm. And and basically, the kids and adolescents are getting swept up with it. We're starting to see a lot of uh, uh, young people get sick and even hospitalized. And, and that's the issue that we're facing. Well, and, and you, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you back on is because when we spoke last, this was about a couple of months ago, you you could see that something was going to happen in the South, and particularly in those red states or you just knew that the vaccination rates weren't as higher, weren't as high as some of the other states around the country. And it was almost like you you forecasted that this would be a problem going into the fall because people in some states just were not cooperating and getting their vaccines. Yeah, well, actually, what I predicted was a, another summer surge, like last summer surge. And what I said, it won't be as bad because so many uh, older Americans are vaccinated, even in the South. So I said that'll mitigate it somewhat. I think the piece that I didn't 
pick up back a few months ago was how the Delta variant would gain a foothold in the U.S., and that even made things worse than I had predicted. So I was already being criticized for being Dr. Doom and, and criticizing, and, and they were criticizing me for predicting a summer surge, but in fact, it was even worse than I predicted because of Delta, and now we're seeing a lot of young people go into the hospital, even pediatric ICU admissions, and of course, the big worry is what happens now that schools are opening, which will that act as an accelerant to really rev things up? And because schools down here start pretty early, uh, in the case of Houston Independent School District uh, in 10 days, but in Louisiana, they've already started. And it's hard to see how this is going to go well with so much, uh, such a screaming high level of transmission and so many kids and teachers and staff uh, unmasked and unvaccinated. Well, and I don't want you to to get criticized again for being Dr. Doom, but honestly, what do you see ahead, you know, when we're still at a point where people are debating whether to get this vaccine, whether to wear masks, whether to be tested regularly? You know, it's it's like uh, being at the Battle of the Somme and, and wondering if we should dig a trench. I mean, it's it's crazy. I mean, things are we're already seeing lots of young people pile into hospitals and um, and we know this is not going to go well and we know how the transmissibility of this and how uh, terribly infectious this is. So, you know, and, and unfortunately, you know, elected officials throughout the South are still digging in their heels and being very ideological saying that it's everybody's choice. They're not going to interfere with their quote health freedom it doesn't work that way. If you're, you know, if you're in in the middle of a pandemic, it's hard to do a lot of things well. You've got to pick the one or two battles you want to try to win. And in my opinion, it should be trying to get the kids through in-person classes. And I think we could do it. But to make it happen, it doesn't just happen at random. It happens because you set sound policies in to protect the kids. And that means that if you're serious about it, it means for every school you have to have everybody walks into that school has to have a mask, no questions asked, except maybe for some of the special needs kids who who can't can't manage the masks, and and we have to have everybody vaccinated who's eligible to be vaccinated. It means any kid over the age of 12, and it means all the teachers, staff, and any parent visiting that school has to be vaccinated. And and it then it can work. And if you do anything less than that. We're already seeing what's happening. We're already seeing schools start in-person classes and they're folding the tent early and, and going back to virtual already. And we just have to be adults and say, look, if we're serious about this, this is what we need to do. In some states with Republican governors, you have the governors versus the school superintendents or school leadership, for example, in your state. In Dallas, the school district there is saying that it's going to give its employees $500 if they submit proof that they are fully vaccinated against COVID-19. So what they're trying to do is obviously encourage people, teachers, educators, who are going to be in these classrooms to get vaccinated. That's probably an idea that you endorse. Well, I'll be honest with you. I, You know, to me, as, as someone who's committed my career to global health and vaccinating the world's poor, it sort of turns my stomach that we have, that we're, we've become such a nation of adolescents that we have to bribe people to do the right thing. But I suppose it's better than nothing. And, and, and at least 
we can ensure that the kids safety having everybody vaccinated. Yeah. And I, you know, I saw a video of a state and it's a Southern state where health officials were making their recommendations in some sort of school board or uh, city council meeting. And the health officials were chased out of the meeting, people threatening them, telling them, we know who you are. We know where you live. It is, it is remarkable in this day and age this, to see that kind of anger at health officials who, who are just trying to save lives. Yeah, and they and unfortunately they direct a lot of it at me. I mean, I, I, I wake up each morning to a nice stream of hate emails and lots of Nazi images and Nuremberg trial threats and all this kind of stuff. It's awful. I think in the case of a town meeting, if a health official goes to a town meeting, he should not have they should not have to be chased into a car. I, I saw, you know, at least one of those videos. It was it was truly awful. I mean, this is where we need law enforcement to protect our public health experts. So I was asked recently, how long do you think this pandemic is really going to last? Is it going to last for another year? Uh, and I declined to answer that because, as I explained to the person who was asking me, I am not a health ex expert. I cannot predict where this is going to go. So I'm going to ask you, Dr. Hotez, when do you think this is all going to end? Well, it'll end when the country's fully vaccinated. That That's the reality. And, and, you know, if you look at what's going on in Vermont or Massachusetts right now, they're looking pretty good. Almost all of the adolescents and adults and eventually we'll have uh, vaccines approved for younger kids, for school-age kids. And that, or the only way we're going to, when you have a serious virus pathogen that's highly transmissible, the only way to get around it is to vaccinate your way through it. And, and that's, I think we, as a nation, we have that capability. But as long as we have this defiance of vaccines, it's going to be problematic. Um, there is sort of a natural ebb and flow of the of the epidemic, and if you look at what's going on in the UK, it went up pretty quickly. Now it's starting to go down, but it's still plateaued. So it was around 5,000 cases of Delta per day, then it went up to 40,000, then it came down to 20,000 a day, but it's sort of sticking there right now. And I would guess something similar is going to go on in the U.S. until we can fully vaccinate. And I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the situation in hospitals across the country. I was, and I'm sure a lot of people across the country were hoping that our healthcare workers would get some relief by now, but they're not. The numbers are still going up in hospitals. That's right. And what you're seeing is the full, the full on force of what Delta will do is it will, you know, take on anybody who's unvaccinated and, you know, the narrative that's been out there, especially from the far right, is that if you're young and healthy and fit and go to the gym, you don't need a vaccine. And nobody ever bothered to tell all of those people that's not a substitute for virus neutralizing antibodies from immunization. And now, unfortunately, they're paying the price for that, seeing young people in unprecedented numbers. By young people, I mean a lot of young adults in their 30s and 40s. Um, and and also now adolescents getting sick and going into pediatric intensive care units and and even younger kids and it's it's really heartbreaking of course because all of this was predicted and was preventable um, had we done a better job with vaccine advocacy and had we done a better job 
counteracting the the disinformation empire but uh that was really tough to do and and they still dominate the internet and they still dominate the conservative news outlets and and they're doing they've done a lot of damage to the country dr peter hotez i really appreciate your expertise on this issue Uh, I think we're all hoping that uh, things improve here as far as the pandemic is concerned and that our kids are safe. Turning now to what teachers are facing as they head back into the classrooms. Randy Weingarten is the president of the second largest teachers union in the country, representing 1.7 million members. This week, the American Federation of Teachers unanimously passed a resolution on workplace vaccine policies. Randy, what does this resolution outline for your members? This week, earlier this week, given the real change in the Delta variant and what it's done to, uh, you know, what it's done in terms of its virulence, its spreading its transmissibility, that we said that we know that vaccines are the most effective way to help um, get rid of COVID and to protect people. Um, And that, you know, vaccines, um, you know, have, have really helped those who have been vaccinated. So that, you know, and that employers are starting to really consider vaccine policies. So I said that I thought we should be working with our employers. I said this personally, working with our employers, not opposing them on vaccine policies that, you know, members, teachers, you know, other workers should have a voice in it, but that we need to work with them, not oppose them on vaccine policies, including vaccine mandates. And that I was gonna bring my, you know, leadership together um, to, to have that discussion and revisit the policy. And we did. And on Wednesday night, we unanimously, all across the country, we unanimously decided that we, you know, that safety is obviously our watchword here and that we're going to um, keep on working with employers on safety issues, but that we would work with our employers on vaccination policies. And even if they wanted to, you know, implement mandates, that we would, you know, have a voice and bargain the impact of it, but work with them and not oppose them. And so that's, you know, so one person saying it is one thing, but the fact that my, you know, leadership unanimously from around the country said it, that is a really important step for making sure that everybody is safe. So what does that mean in states like Texas and Florida where governors are against mass mandates and really pushing back hard against districts that enact them? Well, let me say this. There's three things that will really help um, fight COVID. One is to actually be honest about the information and to stop giving disinformation about vaccines or masks or anything else. That's number one. Number two is to get as many people vaccinated as possible, including, you know, everyone 12 and, and over, unless of course you have a medical condition that, 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 that doesn't allow that. And number three is that because kids under 12 can't get a vaccine and because so many kids between 12 and 18 
haven't gotten a vaccine, we have to have universal masking in schools. And so if we want our kids to be safe, if we want to reopen schools in person and keep them open, then stopping with the disinformation, really focusing on public health in a trusting and comprehensive way, getting everybody vaccinated and having a mass mandate in schools, those are the three things that we need to do. And these governors in Texas and in, um, in uh, Florida, they care about their own political life and running for president more than they care about actually protecting people in the state. I just saw today that Palm Beach County, a county that, that, that wanted, the school board wanted to have a mass mandate, but Ron DeSantis said you don't, that, that, that he, he prohibited a mass mandate. He's, he's basically cutting people's salaries if he, they do that. He's basically telling people that he's gonna cut school aid if they do that. They already had 400 kids in quarantine in the first two days. We're seeing that in other places that governors wouldn't allow mass mandates. We're seeing emergency rooms and, and children's hospitals fill up with kids. Governor Edwards from Louisiana said that there were 6,000 kids who tested positive for COVID last week. How much more evidence do we need to know that? Stop with the disinformation. Make sure we're all on board in terms of getting as many people vaccinated as possible and keep a mass mandate, particularly in schools. That's what's gonna keep people safe and that's what's gonna keep our kids in school. What are you hearing from your membership, specifically teachers? Are they concerned about going back to school, especially in these states that don't have mass mandates in schools? Yes, they are. But they are, but, but over 90%, close, either close to or over you know, um, 90% of our um, educator members are vaccinated. And they know that a vaccine is the single most important way to keep yourself protected from having the um, from getting seriously ill or having um, you know or dying, and so that's you know our our members have really stepped up, but they want mass mandates. They want to make sure our kids are safe, and they want to make sure that they are safe. And um, all throughout the South, in the places that these governors have put their own political aspirations ahead of public safety and public health, um, they are scared. But they also know that it's really, really, really important for kids to be in school. This is the third year of COVID. And so all they're asking for is that we keep them safe. You and I were in New York City around the same time. I was a reporter there and you were leading the local chapter of AFT. This was back in the 2000s. And then you became national president. Has the last 18 months been one of the most challenging of your leadership years? Yes. I mean, because what the last 18 months have been is that you're used to dealing with politics and with political figures. And we're used to dealing with, look, we had 9-11. We had other crises that, you know, that affected a certain number of people. But what COVID has done is that it has affected the entire country 
you know, we're not all affected in the same way. We, you know, it may have been the same storm, but it's not, we're not all in the same boat. But what has happened is that between COVID and the polarization, you see a divisiveness in the country and a distrust of, of people who disagree with each other that also really threatens our democracy. So what has made the last 18 months so hard is that you have multiple crises, you know, whether it was George Floyd's murder or whether it is the climate crisis and the fires in the West, um, or whether it's COVID or whether it is this crisis about whether both parties stand for a democracy. I've never seen the country not come together on crises that are nationwide. And what has made this crisis or this amalgam of crises so hard is that the country is divided by its ideology as opposed to united to fight these crises and help everyone have a better life. And, and that's what has made it so hard. So, you know, teachers, for example, you know, this whole time, like from April 2020, we at the AFT have been trying to get um, schools reopened. We knew that in-person learning was absolutely vital for kids. We knew, you asked us pre-pandemic, we would have told that remote was not um, a suitable alternative. Um, but what has happened is that the former administration pretty much botched COVID. And instead of giving us the safety um, the safety protocols and the resources so that we could actually reopen schools, they just wanted to blame us. And what's happened now, a year later, look, we're in a much better shape today than we were last year at this time because we have the vaccine. So, and because we know what really works to stop transmission, even of this Delta variant. But we still, you see what's happening. We still don't have a country that is coming together on the issues of how we make our children a priority and how we keep them safe. That's what you see when you see a DeSantis or an Abbott basically refuse to do mask mandates. And I'm actually really, um, I, I want to lift up as, um, Governor Hutchinson of Arkansas. No, I don't agree with him on politically. He wouldn't agree with me politically. But he has at least said they were wrong to ban mask mandates. Um, uh, the governor of Alabama, she's been out there begging people to take vaccines. This is not political to fight COVID. This is about making sure that we can return to normal life. And that's what makes this so hard. And teachers feel teachers are heroes. Um, nurses are heroes, but teachers feel really, really beleaguered. Imagine this, 90% of them have taken the vaccine. They know it's important in order for, to save, to protect their own families. They know it's important in order to be back to school. And yet what was the issue last week over and over again was, you know, their vaccine, vaccine mandates for them when there's no other population of professionals, maybe with the exception of doctors, who have actually understood the importance of vaccines and, and have approached herd immunity. Are you anticipating more problems as your teachers go back into classrooms? 
does AFT have a command center up and running to deal with these problems as they arise? Yes, we do. Well, let's put it this way. We don't represent every single teacher in the United States. We represent 3,500 locals. 1,800 of them have been involved in this back-to-school GOTV-style campaign that we're running right now. We've given out about $5 million. In fact, I'm in Cincinnati right now, where our Cincinnati local has been door-knocking with parents and, you know, answering their questions about going back to school. And so, you know, I've talked to a lot of parents and a lot of educators today about, you know, their concerns and about, you know, what we need to do. Um, and But people want to be back in school, but they want to be there safely. And, you know, and, and so what we are doing is, you know, we have a, a good sense from our state, you know, where things are and, and, and where people are and what state of preparedness they're in. And we have a hotline that's going on all the time that, that we person. And, you know, so we are, you know, we are in the midst of really trying to, help locals and help educators all across the country be safe. And also if there are local issues that come up to fight them, like, so for today, you know, the, the city of Cincinnati for reasons no one understands um, pulled back on the bus routes that children used to have, you know, that very, you know, safe separate bus routes that children used to have to go to and from school. And they have said to kids, that, you know, they're taking mass transportation instead of these separate bus routes. And so we had a rally today saying that's a really stupid decision. We have to actually make sure that kids, you know, and their parents, you know, feel extra safe this year, not less safe this year. So, you know, we're doing local issues, but we're going to take on, you know, every single day this month, we're going to keep on taking on the, the, the mask issue because we really believe that, that in order to keep kids safe, particularly kids who are unvaccinated, that you have universal masking. There are other issues that teachers and students are facing right now. In fact, we're hearing that there are some school districts where, you know, they just don't have enough space for social distancing. And we're hearing about other potential flashpoints as well. Are you seeing and hearing the same thing? We are seeing pockets of issues around social distancing, um, um, and we're seeing that ventilation systems in some places have not been repaired. And, you know, we're seeing that the monies that, you know, that we've been given by, you know, the Biden administration and passed by Congress, the American Rescue Plan, you know, they have not translated um, to the guidance counselors and the nurses and the other kind of programs that they were intended for. We're seeing some of that around. But, you know, the most dominant issue we're seeing right now is that because of the Delta variant, making sure that um, people um, who can get a vaccine are getting vaccines, including kids, um, and um, making sure because of the Delta variant that the universal masking happens, which also then means that you have to have good ventilation systems. Well, it certainly does. Randy Weingarten, thank you for your time. Thank you, Jeff. And please stay well. And, um, you know, it is, uh, it's, it's the, our number one issue is making sure that all of our kids um, have a good school year, not just reopening, 
but don't have the disruptions that we've had last year um, because of this new Delta variant. The idea of going back to school is typically stressful for children. Every year when August or September comes around, they're anxious about having a new teacher, making new friends. There are so many things that they worry about. And now this year, you add to that concerns about the Delta variant and whether to wear masks. Robin Gerwich is joining us now. She is a psychologist and professor in psychiatry and behavioral sciences at the Duke University School of Medicine. Robin, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. So the way I describe this anxiety is... Is that pretty accurate? I think you are spot on. And truly, this re-entry anxiety um, is pretty pretty common across the board, no matter how young or old the students are. And you know what? The re-entry anxiety is also high for many parents as well. Yeah, and I'm, you know, I've I've heard that kids, you know, kids who uh, studied from home this past year, Worried about going back, perhaps thinking, you know, maybe I shouldn't go back. So as parents, how do you how do you deal with these questions? I, I think we need to be upfront and honest about what's happening. And it depends on where you live these days. But honestly, the best way we can make sure that our children are going to be safe and sound at school, where everybody says that that is the best place for children to learn. Um, if we look at if we look at the science, it is telling us if you are 12 and older, be vaccinated, and no matter how old you are, wear a mask. The more that we can impress that upon our our students and our teachers and school personnel and parents, the safer our kids are going to be. But I think it is incredibly important to sit down as the school year is getting ready to begin or has started actually in many places and talk to them about this is what's going on. These are the decisions we have made. Here are the reasons why. And and most importantly, we want you to feel safe. So let's talk about your worries or concerns. Is it difficult though? I mean, when, when kids hear the news, maybe they're watching or perhaps they just overheard it somewhere or they see it on their phones. You have adults debating whether to wear masks, whether, you know, to, to go to school without a mask. Um, you know, you have governors in Texas and Florida, just to name two states, who are uh, absolutely against mask mandates. So how do parents weigh through some of this competing information about uh, what they should do with their kids? I think... Um you bring up several points. One, when you're having conversations with your children, check in to see what do they know? What do they understand? Because this gives you a chance to hear what facts and myths and complete fiction they may have and gives you an opportunity to correct that. Um, I am a science person, so I go where the science leads and the science tells us about masking. So this is the decision we have made for our family. When you go to school, we will wear a mask. Um, I think you can talk to children. It's important to talk to children about what will it be like if there are children that are unmasked. And then that's a risk benefit for families to weigh. 
because if there are immunocompromised children, families may say, nope, I'm not willing to take the risk and send my child in. Um, for other families, it may be that, okay, my child is vaccinated and with a mask, I feel pretty okay with that. But talk to the kids. And your other point that you brought up, Jeff, is so important. Please monitor your children's media exposure. For young, young children, please, th this shouldn't be something they're watching at all because they're not going to understand and they're going to fill in the blanks with things that are much worse. For other children, to sit down, if you know that they're watching it, if they're reading about it, seeing it, think about social media, sit down and say, okay, we've watched this or tell me what you've heard and let's talk about it. Turn it off and talk about it. And I think for parents to make sure they have trusted adults, trusted sources of information too, that they can get their emotions um, in check rather than trying to scare our children to death. Let's backtrack a little bit and let's talk about the past year and the pandemic and the toll that this is, you know, really taken on 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 kids who've seen and experienced so much. Absolutely. What we have seen from all of the studies that have been done is that this last year, um, to say COVID has not been good for our kids, mental health is an understatement. We are seeing rises in anxiety, worries, fears, depression. We are seeing more children um, with suicidal ideations. We are seeing um, increased um, worries. We are seeing many children that are coping with death or losses of, of due to economic insecurities, housing insecurities, food insecurities. So this has not been an easy year and trying to pivot from in-person to telehealth learning for many children um, has been very challenging, particularly our families. Um, the disparities are very real and we see this happening over and over. So. Yes, it has not been good for kids. Um, and that is continuing as we are seeing a resurgence now. I'm also wondering, especially for those kids who spent the last year learning from home, there have to be some concerns on their part about getting reintegrated into the school atmosphere, meeting new kids, making new friends. I remember when I was a kid, I was always a little nervous about that first day and, you know, making new friends. Um, is there any advice you would give parents and really teachers as well uh, as they're confronted with some of these issues about how to make sure that the kids, once they're in the classroom, are adjusting. Sure. I think you, when you started off this segment, I think you you underscored it beautifully that even before COVID, kids always um, had a little bit of trepidation and anxiety, uh, particularly if they were going into school for the first time or into middle school or into high school. And so those those gen those general worries are there and they're just um, have been exacerbated, I, I guess. So as children are going out, I think talking to them a while about what are you most excited about and talk about some of the positives. What are they looking forward to? And then as you talk about what are you most worried about, 
talk about and problem solve, validate. Don't try to talk them out of their feelings. As an adult, has that ever worked for us? Um, but, but validate and then come up with a plan. What will they do? How will they approach new, new friends for lunch? What will the day be like? As much as possible, find out about school schedules, about the schools, um, what plans the school has in place. So you may be able to talk to children and reduce some of that. I think um, uh, thinking back, helping children think about what it's been like in the past. You were worried last year, you know, two years ago, I guess, about making friends. And yet you made Bobby and Juan and Susan and and did very well with making friends. So you have that ability and you're going to carry that forward into this year. So, so help them remember what they have done well in the past. I think for parents too, um, being able, being able to think about how do I communicate with the school, with the teachers, so that if I'm concerned or if they see concerns, I can, I can talk with them. I can check in. So a couple of things. If you see that your child is um, struggling with, with sleep, mood swings, or withdrawal, or in little kids, excessive clinginess, if they are um, having more stomach aches and headaches than usual, if they're expressing, if they're telling you, I'm worried, I'm scared, talk to them about it, look for it. If you're not sure, there are wonderful resources out there. And you can also check in with your local pediatrician, your own pediatricians or your mental health agencies about, okay, what do I look for? So I would know, um, given that the manual doesn't quite exist. Um, so I think that can help. And the other thing that can truly help is as we're moving forward, Put a schedule and a routine in place now. Um, routines are really important. Build in mealtime, bedtime, homework time, fun time, relax time, quiet time. Because we know that having fun and quiet time actually can help reduce stress. If you've got pets, great for reducing stress. We know that. So, um, Putting some of those things in place as the school year is ramping up is helpful. The other thing, if you've got teenagers and you're really worried, are they going to make the best choices? You know, I will tell you, I used to tell my daughter, throw me under the bus. I'm fine with that. If they're worried about um, wearing a mask and what will people think if they're not wearing masks, blame me. Say, gosh, my mom is so strict. She's told me I have no option and I want to be able to stay in school and meet y'all at the park or do whatever. So I have to wear a mask. It is okay. That's part of our job as parents. We can handle that. That's good advice. You know, I think we're all hoping for a good, safe, successful school year uh, and that everybody stays help, uh, stays healthy. Robin Gerwich, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Next week on America Change Forever podcast. I traveled to Manchester, Vermont this week. I drove seven hours with my daughters from D.C. Manchester is beautiful. Mountain views for miles, trails to walk, golf courses to play, and, of course, awesome skiing during the winter months. 
I've been there a few times before. It's a vibrant community for anyone who visits and lives there. But what I noticed this time on my visit are the empty storefronts. There are too many of them. And sadly, thanks to the economy, thanks to the pandemic that continues, Manchester looks a lot like a lot of American cities right now. That's what we're going to talk about next week. That is it for this week's America Change Forever podcast. You can download previous episodes wherever you download your podcast. And please subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast. Also, you can follow me on Twitter, Jeff Begay, CBS, where you can send program ideas. What do you want us to look into? Also, follow me on Instagram, Jeff Begay 6. My thanks to Paul Woody Woodhull in District Productive. I'm Jeff Begay's, and that is how America changed forever. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Plus.